With all that, you can get your Bible, your phone, or your tablet. Um, We're going to be in Genesis chapter 30 tonight. Genesis chapter 30. And our title is Unstoppable God, and you'll see why toward the tail end. But we already know God's unstoppable, don't we? And last week, um, just to kind of give you a little transition, Pastor Dave was here, and we talked about Leah. And as that chapter ended, which was 29, Leah had four boys. And Dave showed us the names. Tonight, we'll look at some names. We'll kind of cover them each individually. So just, Rachel just had four children. What, I mean, excuse me, Leah. Leah had four children. Let me get my story straight. Leah had four children. Tonight, we pick up with how's Rachel feel about that? How does Rachel feel about Leah's four boys? Let's read verse 1 and find out. So chapter 30, verse 1, it says, When Rachel saw that she was not bearing Jacob any children, and Leah had four, she became jealous of her sister. So she said to Jacob, give me children or I'll die. Children or death. So she's being a little dramatic, but she's heartbroken, I'm sure. That's really devastating for her. Because in that culture, women, you know, they were expected to have children. That's what gave you value in some ways. And she doesn't have any. But it's likely, it's not crystal clear in Scripture, but it's likely both these sisters were jealous of each other. And I think we'll see that as we read the text tonight. So let's talk about Leah for a second. Um, Last week we kind of learned that Leah was at least externally, let's get that straight, externally not as beautiful as as Rachel, because Rachel was known to be extremely beautiful. More on that in a second. Also in chapter 21, we learned that her husband Jacob didn't love her. Now God loved her, but Jacob didn't. On the other hand, she was blessed with four sons, so maybe some bad, but also some good. On the opposite kind of contrast of that would be Rachel. She was very externally beautiful on the outside, but because of her beauty, she might have been, we'll see tonight, a little vain, a little conceited, a little prideful. On the other hand, Jacob really loved her, loved her more than Leah. That's what set up this whole jealousy mess. And then finally, she had no children. So to sum that all up, both want what the other one has. It becomes almost this bitter rivalry, and we'll see that tonight. And they're doing a thing that we would term, you know, if you look at what God says, don't do, do not covet. You ever heard that one? Do not covet. In case you hadn't, let's look at a verse together, actually two verses out of James. Here's what it says. You covet, you want what each other has, but you cannot get what you want. So look what happens. We're going to see that tonight. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. We'll also see that tonight. When you do ask, in other words, if you do ask God, you don't receive, and there's the real key for us, you ask with wrong motive. So what might look like to us a good ask, a good prayer for God, if our motive is wrong, if our motive is impure, God's not going to answer that. It might not be an outright sin or a bad thing that we're asking, but what if we're doing it out of pride? I just want some attention, or I want to be noticed, or I want to be this or that. I want to be famous. I want to be rich. God's not going to answer that. My motive is bad. So we have to be careful as believers with our motives. So let's get back to our story, verse 2. What does Jacob answer Rachel's request? That Give me kids or I'll die. Jacob became very angry with her and said, Am I in the place of God who has kept you from having children? So I would call that a good and a bad answer both. 
Yes, the bad would be, doesn't sound like a very loving husband's reply, does it? Maybe he should go to our marriage seminar Friday night. (laughs) He's given his wife an angry response. She's heartbroken. She's upset. He just lashes back at her. The good would be, though, at least he gives credit where credit's due. He says, don't put me in God's place. If you don't have kids, I got nothing to do with that. I'm doing my part is what he's kind of saying. If you don't have kids, it's, it's God. Um, we'll see more about that later. So Jacob kind of points out God has not allowed you to conceive. Why would that be? We don't know, clearly. But I might make the case if she is vain and conceited like I kind of hinted at, Maybe God's trying to work on her still. He'll allow her to have a child, but not yet. She's still what I would call, and we all are this, by the way. I'm a work in progress. You're a work in progress. Rachel is definitely a work in progress in this story. Let's keep reading. Three and four. So now Rachel has a plan. You know how these plans go, by the way. Are they ever good almost? No, because it's her plan. Here's what she says. Then she said, here is Bilhah, my servant. Uh Uh-oh, we know where this is about to go. Sleep with her so she can bear children for me, and I too can build a family through her. So she gave him her servant Bilhah as a wife, and Jacob slept with her. Not a real wife, more like a wife for one night, if you know what I mean. Here we go again, though. This family has already been down this road how many times? Have my servant, I need a baby, whatever it takes. They didn't learn from the family history, apparently, which brings up our first point if you're taking notes tonight. Our mistakes, not just ours, and the mistakes of others, people we know, our friends, our family, they should be teaching moments, not repeating moments. She's repeating exactly what got Sarai into trouble. Remember the whole Hagar story? Apparently, it wasn't a teaching. They're just repeating. So let's keep reading. Verse 5, and she became pregnant, Bilhah, and bore him a son. So she did, she did conceive. Then Rachel said, God has vindicated me. He has listened to my plea and given me a son. Because of this, this vindication, she named him Dan. Because Dan, if you look at the translation of Hebrew, it means vindicated or judged correctly. God has judged correctly, given me a son. I guess she's forgot the part. It was her servant that did it, not her. But we can clearly see already these two sisters are kind of bitter rivals. They're already competing. And later on, not yet, there's a prohibition given against, you know, multiple wives. In Scripture, God allows it, but even Dave told us last week, he never designed it that way. He allowed our bad behavior, not us, hopefully, to do that, but he allowed some of the Bible characters But it was a bad thing. Two wives is very bad. Even worse is two sisters that are your wives. That could be like the worst of all, I would think, because they're always jealous of each other, and that's going to come clear in our story through the whole night. They're competing for Jacob's love. They're competing to see who can have the most children. Rachel's already behind in the race, by the way. It's four to one. And to them, here's what they believe, both of them. I think that'll come out in the story More kids equals more love from Jacob. If I can just have the most kids, I'll have the most love. Think about our verse we just read from James about wrong motives. That is a classic wrong motive. More kids does not equal more love. And they're going to kind of suffer some consequences for that. Let's keep reading, verse 7. 
Rachel's servant Bilhah conceived again. So now this is a, a different time. And bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, I have had a, here's, here, here's where you see Rachel's heart. I have had a great struggle with my sister, with my sister. I have won. Sounds a little prideful, doesn't it? So she named him Naphtali. Naphtali means wrestle, either wrestle with each other or my struggle, depending on how you interpret it. So here's the thing to notice, though. She thinks she's struggling or wrestling with somebody. She thinks it's her sister, not with God, not with Jacob even. She thinks she's struggling with Leah. But really, I would make the case she's not. Rachel is, I believe, struggling with Rachel. Rachel's pride is getting in the way. She's coveting. She wants what her sister Leah has. She has Jacob's love. She has the husband in most ways. But she's determined to win this childbearing race. And look at the cost, though. What has it already cost her? She already had to let her husband sleep with her servant. So I've traded adultery for a couple of sons is what it really amounts to. That's a high, price, a high price to pay, in my mind, for winning, as she puts it. And she really won't win anyway, as we keep reading. Let's look at another verse. Um, I think this behavior for both of them, it's a great example of, of what our sin can look like. Um, this is out of 1 John. Not all sin, but I would make the case almost all of it, can be grouped into three categories. You'll hear it termed like this a lot at church. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. This one verse summarizes almost all three of those concepts. It says, the world offers a craving for physical pleasure. And sometimes we imagine that to be sex, by the way. That is, of course, a, a, a lust of the flesh. But think about this one. What if I, just, my, I, I get pleasure out of drugs or alcohol? That's a lust of the flesh. What if my pleasure comes from a sport I do that consumes my life, like fishing or golf or old cars or something? It's a selfish pleasure. So it's not just sex, in other words. Another one we see, this craving for everything we see, the lust of the eyes. I want what you have. I want that big house. I want that big car. I want that great job that pays X amount of money. That's a lust of the eyes. What, remember, they're competing and rivaling against each other. They have that one for sure. Then finally, we see the pride of life. They're value, people that value status recognition, prideful things. I want to be noticed. I want to be famous. I want to be the center of attention. Look at me. Look at what I'm doing. Look at me serving at church. I'm the best guest services usher we got. Nobody put their hand up, please, on that one. You know, <laughs> We can be prideful even serving in ministry if we're doing it. Goes, let's go back to that other verse. What's your motive? Is your motive of serving for the wrong motive? Is it to get noticed? To know, look, God, look what I'm doing. Look at me. All you look at me too. God won't honor that, even if we think it's serving him. So the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life, dangerous. And look at how that verse ends, though. These are not from the Father. None of those three categories. And you, if you think about it, you can almost lump every sin you can imagine to one of those three categories. But they're from the world. The world values all three of those things. Just please yourself, self-worth, you're valuable, do what makes you feel good, what makes you happy, please your flesh, please your eyes, get more stuff, whoever takes the most stuff wins, can't take it with you. 
And last but not least, pride might be the worst. Pride messes up believers worse than those other two, I think, sometimes. Because we know not to honor the lust of our flesh, to have sexual sin or covet things. We know not to overvalue possessions. But even as believers, we have to be careful about pride. Our pride or value what people kind of think about us in some ways. So be careful. Let's keep moving. Verse 9. When Leah saw that she had stopped having children, remember she had four boys, none yet. Now what's she going to do about that? She saw Rachel's plan. I got a plan too. It's kind of what happens. It's like this weird game of poker with child, poker children almost. I'll see your four and raise you two with my servant. Let's see what she does. <clears throat> she took her servant Zilpah, gave her to Jacob as a wife for one night. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a son. Then Leah said, what good fortune I have. I've allowed my husband an adulterous relationship. What good fortune do I have? It's funny how she sees things, isn't it, if you really think about it? But she named him, Scripture says, Gad. Gad translates to good fortune. She's winning that race of the most kids. That's why she thinks she has good fortune. First Rachel, now Leah, have both gone down this route of sleep with my servant, give me some kids, a, a surrogate you know, relationship. She already has four sons. We learned that last week. But clearly now, not enough. I need more, 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 more. It's never enough because, once again, let's go back to that verse of James, wrong motive. If our motives are wrong, it won't be ever enough, which is our second thing we're going to talk about writing down tonight. Um, a worldly craving, and I would make this to be a worldly craving they're having, these more kids for more love. A worldly craving can never be satisfied. Good enough will eventually turn into it's not enough. I need more. It's wrong motive. That's the real root of their problem. So godly desires satisfy us. Worldly desires are never enough, no matter how. And we've known, unfortunately, maybe we've been that person. Hopefully it was our old life, by the way. We, we sometimes get confused and say, I could only have a house a certain place in, in town. If I only had this, if I only had a waterfront view, if I only had this certain house square footage, if I only had this car, if I only had this job, I would be happy if I just got that promotion. You're not. It's never enough. God says, just keep it simple, guys. I will bless you and bless you unbelievably if you just honor me and put me first. They're not there yet. Let's keep reading. Verse 12. Um, Leah's, Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a second son. Then Leah said, how happy I am. She thinks she's happy. The women, don't miss that one, the women will call me happy. So she named him Asher because Asher means happy. In Leah, we see, I think, that pride of life we just talked about. Because she, she said, the women will, will call me happy. She wants the status of winning this child race, as I keep calling them. But she's not inwardly happy. Her real desire <clears throat> is Jacob's love, remember? And she hadn't got that yet. It's a temporary happiness at best. It's not going to last. She'll need more, more, more coming up. Verse 14. Um, 
during the wheat harvest, it's going to segue a little bit to a type, same race, different concept in a way. During the wheat harvest, Reuben went out in the fields, that was a sign from last week, found some mandrake plants, which he brought to his mother, Leah. Rachel said to Leah, give me, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. What's a mandrake? Well, it's an herbal thing. You can still buy them around, I think, nowadays on the internet. But really, it's a plant that was very popular in that type of culture um, all through the world. It's still popular, by the way. It's a flowering plant that has what they call a, a long taproot. And the root usually forks into at the end. It looks like two legs. So many times when you pull a mandrake, it's got these two legs at the bottom. Sometimes it looks like an arm, and the leaves look like hair. So it looks like a little mini person almost. So in this culture, they believed it to be a fertility drug. That's why she wants these mandrakes, not to eat, not to do something with. She thinks it's a fertility drug. And, and many cultures still think it's that, by the way, because it has this human shape, and they think somehow that's going to allow you to have more babies. So she wants that root desperately. We're going to see what she's willing to trade for it here in a second. Let's keep reading, verse 15. But she said to her, when, when um, Leah asked this question, wasn't it enough you took away my husband? Will you take my son's mandrakes too? Very well, Rachel says. Now they're going to bargain. He can sleep with you tonight, you Leah, in return for your son's mandrakes. So I'll trade you. You give me those mandrakes because I need him to have a son of my own. You can sleep with Jacob. She's willing to trade sex with Jacob for mandrakes. She's desperate. But here's what I kind of noticed as I was reading and studying this. She comes up with another plan again. i got to get these mandrakes. Does she ever guess God about these mandrakes? God, should I go get those mandrakes? Will that do it? No. There's no evidence in these whole stories of anybody almost asking God anything. And they come up with dumb ideas of servants having sex with your husband, trading sex for mandrakes, because she's convinced if I could only have that, That'll make me happy. Remember that pride of life, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes? Here we go again. How about prayer? How about praying, seeking the Lord, asking him to intervene? We don't really see it. Let's keep reading, verse 16. So when Jacob came in from the fields that evening, he's been out working hard. Leah went out to meet him before he ever gets to the house. You must sleep with me, she tells him. She said, I have hired you. Hired you, even though he's kind of her husband too, with my son's mandrakes. That tells you who he really sleeps with every night is, is Rachel. So what does Jacob do? It says he slept with her that night. Two things to kind of notice here. Doesn't seem like Jacob resists too much, does it? <laughs> Whatever. You hired me for sex. This is kind of like a crazy story, isn't it? But let's go back to what she named that last child, um, Leah. She remember named that child Asher. Asher was happy. Does she seem very happy at the moment? It must have quickly worn off. She's already bargaining, trading, using mandrakes for sex. But God's going to intervene. Verse 17 says, God listened to Leah. She's probably wailing and upset. Maybe she did pray. Who knows? She became pregnant again and bore Jacob a fifth son. So she's had now five biological sons. Then Leah says, God has rewarded me for giving my servant to my husband. She ties it back to that servant surrogacy thing. So she named him Ishkar. Ishkar means my reward. So she believes she's been rewarded. 
But here's the thing. Rachel's plan didn't work. The mandrakes don't work because she still has no biological son. Leah's trade for mandrakes for sleeping with Jacob kind of worked, I guess, in a roundabout way. But really, we're going to learn later in our text and also next week that God is who intervened. God intervened. Because she's still desperate. She, she doesn't even really, as far as we can tell by the text, her goal is not to sleep with Jacob or have sex with him. Her goal is to get his love. The love is still gone. It's not there. So as far as that goes, she's still losing. She's still, as Scripture called her last week, unloved as far as Jacob goes. Let's keep reading. Verse 19. <clears throat> Leah conceived again. Now she's bore Jacob a sixth son of her own. Then Leah said, God, God has presented me with a precious gift. This time my husband, this time is it. I know this will do it, is what she's saying. This time my husband will treat me with honor because I have borne him six sons. So she named him Zebulon. Zebulon translates to honor, by the way. Well, poor Leah's still searching, doesn't have love yet. But in her mind, I've had five kids that didn't quite get it. I just know that I know that I know six. Six is the, it's the number. It's got to be six. She has a sixth son. Where's Jacob? Still with Rachel. Because what she really wants is to, Jacob to leave Rachel and live with her and be her husband every single night. In her mind, that would be how she could tell that she's one. All she's getting now is an occasional one-light stand with Jacob. Verse 21 switches gears a little, though. It says, sometime later, she gave birth to a daughter. Now, finally, there's a daughter in the family named her Dinah. She's also kind of famous in Scripture. We don't have time to talk about it. But Dinah's name means her judgment. And it's not crystal clear who her is. And I would kind of make the case it's probably Leah, most likely, her judgment. Maybe her plan of having unlimited kids is judged to be finished because this is her last kid. Dinah's her last. But we don't really know what her judgment is, but Dinah means her judgment. Um, verse 22, then God remembered Rachel. So poor Rachel has only had children, let's think back, through a servant, none of her own. 22 says God remembered Rachel. He listened to her and enabled her to conceive. So Jacob, if we go back to the start of this text, remember he says, I'm not God. Don't tell me, you know, that you're not pregnant. Tell God. God remembered Rachel. Maybe Rachel is mature. Maybe she's grown. Maybe she's over her pride and vanity a little bit. We don't know. But some of your translations might even say, I, I, as I looked at a bunch of different translations, some of them said, God opened her womb. I read NIV where it just said he enabled her to conceive. Either way, same idea. She's pregnant. In either way, I would also add, God did it. It's crystal clear God did it, not some mandrake root that she thought would do it. Bad motive, bad plan. God finally heard her plea. Maybe she cried out in the tent at night. We don't know. It's not in the text. But God, it does say, remembered Rachel. God doesn't forget, by the way. And then like he, oh, there's poor Rachel. I guess I should give her a kid by now. God was waiting on Rachel's heart is what I would believe. He was waiting on purpose till she got to the place she, he wanted her to be before he allowed her to be pregnant. Verse 23, because she is pregnant. She became pregnant, gave birth to a son. It's a famous son, by the way. You'll see in a second. 
Here's what she said. God has taken away my disgrace. Because remember in that culture, no kids, you're disgraced. She named him Joseph. The same Joseph we'll get to as we go through Genesis later, this rest of this year. It's the famous Joseph of the coat of many colors. And he said, may the Lord add to me another son. And Joseph's name, interesting name by the way, his name means may he add. Already one's not enough. I need another one, Lord. I love this one. May he add me another. Remember that whole thing about that verse we read? Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. If I could only have this. If I only had one more, Lord, that would do it. It's never enough because their heart is really not right with God yet. But she finally does have a biological son of her own that becomes literally like a famous character through the lineage of Jesus, etc. Right now, our story is going to take kind of a right-hand turn in a way. That was the story of a soap opera of two competing sister wives. We're going to go from that to a farm story. And if you have any farming questions, by the way, Pastor Dave is here. He's an agricultural major. He knows all about these things I'm about to talk about most likely. He probably can't talk tonight because they have a meeting after church, but um, down the road, find him in the commons and ask him animal stories. Who knows? Verse 25, let's get there. After Rachel gave birth to Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, send me on my way so I can go back to my own homeland. In other words, I don't belong here. He's finally realizing that at least. Give me my wives and my children for whom I've served you and I'll be on my way. You know how hard and how much I've worked for you. Remember, he got deceived. It was 14 years, seven for each wife. We're going to learn next week it's not even 14. It's more than that, but it's at least been 14 right now. But Jacob at least remembers, hey, there was a promise made to me, first by my father, then by God himself. I heard God's voice. He promised me a covenant of a land, a nation, a people, and a blessing. He wants to go get involved with God in that covenant, I think. But look at Laban's answer, verse 27. But Laban said to him, If I found favor in your eyes, please stay. Remember, he's been using Jacob kind of to be this hired labor for 14 years. He's not wanting to let a good thing go. I've learned by divination. Don't miss that one. Let me read that again. I, this is Laban talking. I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. So he's right on what he said as far as how it happened. He is blessed because of Jacob. He learned it in a very bad, terrible manner. I'll get to that in a second. Then he adds, name your wages, I'll pay them. This by divination is practice divination, which may not mean a lot to us. It's not a common word. We don't use that anymore. What if I said he practiced witchcraft? Would that be bad? Of course. Or he consulted the occult. It's witchcraft, the occult. Divination is a bad thing, and, and that's what the pagan nations of this area practiced routinely, which is why God put it on their heart, don't marry these pagan women. You're going to mingle, and they're going to corrupt my people. Let's look at a verse. The prohibition comes later in Deuteronomy, but let's look at it. But it's already on their hearts not to do this, by the way. Look, Deuteronomy 18. Do not learn to imitate the detestable ways of the nations there. In other words, all those nations in the promised land or even around it. 
Let no one be found among you who sacrifices their son or daughter in the fire. And I've talked before, they would heat up little false god metal statues, lay their babies in the hot statue arm, and it would burn them to death. That's what that means. Or who practices divination, what Laban just said he did. Or sorcery, interprets omens, engages in witchcraft, casts spells, who is a medium or spiritist, or who consults the dead. We don't do any of those, I hope, but look at the last one, consults the dead. We just learned on the weekend, the last couple of weeks, before we started um, Jonah, about spiritual warfare. There's another kingdom out there. You might be able to talk to the dead through the wrong side of the fence, like the enemy side, through a medium, a spiritist. But if you're talking to the dead, they're in a place you don't want to talk to them. Trust me. You don't talk to the dead in heaven. That's, un- that's impossible. If you're communicating with the dead through a spiritist, that's a prohibition in Scripture. It's a cult. It's evil. It's satanic. And they're really in a place you shouldn't want to talk to them anyway because they're not where you hope they are if you're able to talk to them at all. So Scripture is crystal clear. Stay far away from that. What's not mentioned, by the way, for us in modern times, like I would hope none of us are doing any of that, including talking to the dead, but what about horoscopes? Horoscopes are really lumped in this same prohibition. And and I'll just say this for us all. I'll give you a free horoscope reading tonight. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you're Virgo, Sagittarius, or any of that Capricorn business, but here's, here's a horoscope for you. The stars, the moons, and the planet have zero bearing on your life. Zero. I don't care if you're a Capricorn, Virgo, Sagittarius, zero influence. Who hung the stars? Who hung the moon? Who put them there? That's who has influence on your life. Those are just planets and stars and constellations. Zero, I can't say any clearer, zero bearing on your and my life. No point to read it. Scripture says not. God will not like it if I look at one, including a horoscope, because it basically falls into this same category It's an occult practice, even though we may not realize it because it might be in the newspaper. Just because it's in the newspaper doesn't make it okay, or online or wherever else you might run into it. So anyway, I'll get off my horoscope soapbox and move on. Verse 29, Jacob said to him, you know how hard, how I've worked for you and how your livestock is fared under my care. The little you had before I came has increased greatly. Because Jacob's been working hard, it's clear here. And the Lord has blessed you wherever I have been. But now, now that I want to leave, when can I do something for my own household, for my two wives, the one you tricked me into heaven? He's thinking, basically, I think, if you summarize that, Laban, you tricked me. You're sort of an evil man. And we just saw that because he's using divination. That to tell us a lot about his character, by the way. But I've worked hard, and God has blessed you because I've been working hard, and and I'm trying to do what God told me. So Laban answers, what shall I give you then? What what do you want? What shall I give you? He he asks, and then um, Jacob answers, don't give me anything, Jacob replied. But if you'll do this one thing for me, I will go on tending your flocks and watching over. In other words, I'll stay. I'll stay for a longer time if you'll do this for me. Verse 32 tells us what this is. Let me go through all your flocks today, remove from them every speckled or spotted sheep, every dark-colored lamb, and every spotted or speckled goat. 
these animals will be my wages, and I'll keep taking care of your herds. Pull all these out, that'll be my payment. So Jacob is proposing to take these spotted animals and that dark-colored one, the dark-colored lamb, as his wages. And by the way, that would be a, a very smaller portion, most likely, in the, in the whole herd. So Laban, we've already seen, is more like an evil crook. He likes this plan. Jacob's going to get the tiny portion. I get all the big portion. Sounds good to me. Let's do it. Then Jacob goes on to say in verse 33, My honesty will testify for me in the future. Whenever you check on the wages you've paid. In, in other words, there's going to be a visual proof. Any goat in my possession that is not speckled or spotted or any lamb that is not dark, it'll be considered stolen. I've acquired it illegally because they're going to separate the herds physically by a large distance. We'll see that in a few more verses. So he's proposing this will be a visual way to check if I'm being honest. I'm giving you my word, but you're going to have visual proof also. And I think as I studied this, I would kind of make the case anyway. You can make your own mind up. Jacob seems to be trusting God a little bit more. He's taking a smaller portion, not the best portion, and he's trusting that somehow God's going to multiply it and make it work anyway. So he's not there yet, but he's at least making some of the right moves, it looks like. He's trusting something that he can't understand in some ways. So verse 34 says, agreed. Laban agrees to it. He says, agreed, let's do what you say. Because in his mind, he thinks, he's asking for the smaller portion there's no way I won't win. This is, he must be stupid. He's asking for the spotted, you know, little or smaller portion. I'm going to get the big herd. They'll keep reproducing. I'm going to have a giant herd in before long. He's going to take basically the ones I don't want because they would have seen those animals as flawed. He believes the odds are in his favor. Maybe divination told him that. Who knows? But God's going, okay, consult who you want. Watch what happens there, genius. Here's, here's the real point, though, if you're taking notes, our third thing. There doesn't appear to be a visible way out. Our life can be the same. We may not see a visible way out of our problem either. But if we have faith, our invisible God will provide one. He doesn't have to, to remember, Scripture says nobody can see God. God has invisible qualities. He created the heavens, the earth, the planets, and the stars I referenced a while ago. We don't need proof. If, we're, if we have enough faith, just trust God. He'll make it happen in ways we can never imagine. We can't see a way out of this mess. God will come through. Jacob seems to be starting to at least get there. So let's read the details of what he really does. 35. That same day, he removed all the male goats that were streaked or spotted, all the speckled or spotted female goats. And really that means all the ones that may have had any kind of white on them. They weren't solid colors. And all the dark-colored lambs. He placed them in the care of his sons. Then in 36, it says he put a three days journey between himself and Jacob. So the two herds separate by a three day journey. That way, there's no way they can mingle. You've got your portion. I've got my portion. Laban thinks he's winning. And it does say Jacob continued to tend the rest of Laban's flocks. So he's going to honor the agreement. He's going to stay for a few more years. Like I said, we'll see exactly how long next year. And he's taken steps to show Laban he's honest, even with a visual proof of a three-day journey. But look what he does next. This is kind of a strange story, if you will. Um, 
37. I was going to tell you something about it, but let's just read it. You have to read it for yourself. 37 says, Jacob, however, because now he's managing the whole herd. He's managing Laban's animals still, too. Keep that in mind. He took fresh-cut branches from popular almond and plane trees. That's a tree called an oriental plane tree. I had to look it up myself. What is a plane tree? It's kind of like a tree we'll talk about in a second. And he made white stripes on them by peeling the bark and exposing the white inner wood of the branches. Then he placed all the peeled branches in the watering troughs so they'd be directly in front of the flocks when they came to drink. When the flocks were in heat, they came to drink, they made it in front of the branches and likely drank that water, by the way. And they bore young that were streaked, speckled, or spotted. Now, like you, I've read this story probably many times. I've heard it taught before. And I've always imagined somehow... You know, these striped branches made spotted animals or something like that. And by the way, Jacob is being a farmer. I'm not a farmer, but I did wear a Western shirt for you tonight. This is my contribution to the farming story. Back to the text. But as I read this, I'm, I'm studying, I'm looking at it, I'm thinking, and I did some searching, try to get other people like, what in the world is this is a crazy thing? What is this really about? It's not crystal clear, and that could be the reason. Maybe it is the peeled branches had the appearance of stripes or spots. It made the animals reproduce, but I've always wondered. You know, God could do that, of course. God did do it. We'll learn that later next week. But could it be another thing at play here? And possibly. You know, I'm good at throwing out a speculation sometime. This is your speculation of the night time right this now. Um, because... There could have been possibly, as I studied and researched this, another possibility. Um, and that possibility would be, to summarize it, herbal medicine. Herbal medicine. And here's why. That plane tree in particular, if you peel the bark, you expose the soft inner layer. And it lets loose some chemicals called phenolic resins and tannins. Phenolic resins and tannins. Just think herbal medicine in a way. Or plant-based medicine. We use some of the same type of things even in modern times. Anybody here ever use tea tree oil? Yes. See, I already heard somebody say, oh, yeah. That is an antiseptic, antibiotic. It kills fungus, kills bacteria. It's very useful. It's a plant-based thing. It's a tree resin like we're talking about these peel branches had. Also, another one, and I could go over the long list, by the way, lemongrass. Lemongrass smells great, but it also keeps mosquitoes away. That's great to know in Florida. Citronella, there's a ton of plants that are really medicinal. Some of the pills we take as adults, there's a thing called digoxin. It's an older drug, not everybody takes it anymore, but digoxin is really a, a plant called digitalis. It's just a plant. In the old days, they chewed the leaves or the bark. We make it into a pill. You take it. It's all clean and sterile and nice. You're essentially swallowing a plant, is it what it amounts to. So, what does all that really mean? How, did I, how in the world did I get down this rabbit trail? Well, as, that, as I studied, here's what I found. This is very interesting. Modern, modern scientific studies have shown that ewes or, or females, sheep and goats, the extract of a popular tree, that oil in the bark, the extract, leads to a 30% higher reproductive rate and a, a higher percentage of multiple births, multiple babies. So higher percentage of, of fertility and a higher percentage of multiple births. 
So there's a science behind it. Also, this oriental plane tree, as I called it, it was also used for treating inflammation. It cured UTIs. If the sheep and goats didn't have a UTI, that might make them more fertile. Who knows? And it was also known in the old days as the tree of Hippocrates, the Hippocratic Oath that doctors take. It was his famous tree. He had one in his yard. He loved it so much, he used it for everything, this plane tree. So who knew? Maybe it wasn't the, the stripes after all. Well, I'll tell you who knew. God knew. God must have told Jacob, put these branches, peel them, put them in the trough. I'll work it two ways. The stripes will do it. The bark, tannin, phenolic resin might do it. Who knows? Either way, the real underlying thing is, doesn't matter how it happened, God did it. God is going to increase the herd is what's going to happen. Let's keep reading, verse 40. So Jacob set the, apart the young of the flock by themselves, but he made the rest of the flock face the streaked and dark colored animals that belonged to Laban. Then he made separate flocks for himself and didn't put them with Laban's animals. So he's still separating Laban's herd from his herd, even when they have babies. Which kind of made me think, well, you know, if he's already separated three-day journey a while ago, how are they even having, you know, spotted and speckled babies? This is the part you can ask Dave about. There's a thing called, you know, dominant and recessive genes. Even though there's no obvious, like, speckled babies, whatever, they're still carrying that recessive gene. When two recessive genes lines up, you get another outcome. So the genetic material that God designed is in those animals, so they're still having babies for Jacob is what it amounts to. Even though Laban never saw this one coming, Jacob's herd is still growing even though they've already been separated. Now next week in chapter 31, we'll learn that God did it. We already know God did it, don't we? Next week, we're going to read some verses that clarify. Jacob's going to have a dream and he's going to realize God intervened. God fought the fight for me. God intervened. Maybe it was the branches, maybe God just did it, we don't really know, but it's going to be crystal clear that God was behind this blessing of Jacob. We're almost done, verse 41. Whenever the stronger females were in heat, now he's going to be more humanly smart. He's going to practice a thing called, I think, animal husbandry, where you kind of selectively breed animals, because it says... He would place the branches in the trough in front of the animals so they would mate near the branches. But if they were weak, he wouldn't place those branches or put the animals there. So he's breeding strong with strong. And then look what it says at the end of that verse. The weak animals went to Laban and the strong ones to Jacob. So he's getting the best animals, the strong ones. Laban's getting the ones that are less desirable, even though he thought he was winning the fight. God put that once again in Jacob's mind to do that. It's not herbal medicine. This would be more in the category, I think, at least for me, veterinary medicine. God did it, though. It's selective breeding for a designed outcome to bless Jacob. So don't forget, God did it. We'll see it once again clearly next week. Finally, the last verse. In this way, the man grew exceedingly prosperous. The man is Jacob and came to own large flocks, female and male servants, camels and donkeys. So it's not just these sheep and goats. He's getting camels and donkeys, having hired help. Let's go back to how Genesis started, the covenant Abraham got, the covenant that was passed down to Isaac, the covenant that Isaac passed and God said out loud to Jacob. 
I'm going to bless you. Remember, don't forget the three categories with a land, a people, a nation of people, and then all people we bless through you, and I will bless you with a blessing of material stuff too. That was God's plan. So let's look at our last verse on the screen about God's plan. This is a good plan for us to remember too, by the way. The Lord of heavenly forces has created a plan. Who can stop it? Can Laban stop it? No. God's hand is extended. Who can stop it? Nobody. God has a plan for them, but he equally has a plan for all of us, for me, for you. We can't mess up the plan by being a Rachel and a Leah, or really an Abraham, a Jacob, and an Isaac. Think about all the times those names I just mentioned tried to intervene, come up with their own dumb plan, sleep with my servant, she's my sister, if I can only do this or that. God's plan does not need my or your help, does it? We just have to trust God, and we're going to pray for that in a second. Trust God, get out of his way, because if I'm still fighting the fight like they are in this story, God sometimes will do like this. He may do this in heaven, but symbolically he's doing it. Okay, Dave, go ahead. Come up with your dumb idea. Let's see how that works for you. Go ahead. Only when these people get desperate in these stories, like Rachel. Think about Rachel. She got desperate. God saw it. He intervened. Maybe she prayed and asked. We don't know. God wants us to quit fighting the fight. That's our bottom line thought. If we don't leave anything else tonight... Let God fight your battle, my battle. But it's hard. We need his help. That's why I want to pray for that as we close. So let's pray. Before we do, though, one more thing. I shouldn't have told you to pray yet. If you don't know God yet, maybe you've committed your life to God in the past. You've accepted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Maybe you've wandered way off. Maybe you're not following. This sermon somehow about Sheep and goats and crazy women-wife competition has convicted you. i got to get back right with God. I need God's plan for my life. Come see me at the end. We'll pray. We'll rededicate. If you've never accepted it all, we'll pray about that too. Don't leave here not having God as your one true God and letting him run your life. That's how you succeed, not these crazy plans we saw tonight. But for the rest of us, let's just pray that we would not fight the fight, we would let God fight our battles for us. And then we need the Holy Spirit's help to do that, and we're going to ask him right now. Let's bow our heads. Lord, we love you. Um, thank you for these stories, and Lord, we, we learn from these stories. We don't want to repeat the mistakes they made, but we need your help not to do that. Lord, we're imperfect, weak people, and we sometimes try to get in your way with our own dumb ideas and dumb plans. Lord, help me, help us, all of us listening right now and watching online, Help us just let you fight our, bite, our battles for us, Lord. Help us get out of the way. Help increase our trust. And Lord, as Scripture says, um, just help our unbelief. It's not that we don't believe in you. Sometimes we don't believe there's a way out because in human eyes we don't see it. But Lord, you have a perfect way to fix all of our problems if we'll just trust you. So Lord, Holy Spirit, help us. Help us trust you more, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. See you this weekend, and if you need to talk about Jesus, I'll be right down here in a second.